Welcome back to 10 in 20, the official podcast of the Battle of Franklin Trust, where we talk about interesting aspects of Tennessee history in roughly 20 minutes. My name's Sarah. And my name's Brad. This is an episode that we've been looking forward to for a long time. We often, doing the show, get to talk with people who are experts on history, but rarely do we get to talk to people who have lived through it themselves. This week, we are talking to Jimmy Gentry, a World War II veteran and a lifelong Franklin resident. We hope you enjoy this episode just as much as we did. So I stay down here now. <laughs> See, well, this is a pretty nice bedroom down here, though. Oh, yeah. It's, it's plenty of room. All right. See, the, they're stacked half. Right above this is a bedroom just like this. Then there's three other bedrooms up there just like this. So there's four bedrooms up there. Yeah, that's just a gorgeous, yeah. gorgeous and that's, It's built houses back like that back then. This is stacked. Yeah. There's four rooms right here. There's four rooms right above it. See, that's the way it is. Then the kitchen is off down there. I mean, the dining room, the kitchen's off down in that area down there. Wow. When was this house built? 18... 40 or something, just before the Civil War, right before the Civil War. I think it's uh, the, the guy that's building it. It's a really it's an interesting story because we, we have the kill down there where he made the brick. Oh, so he, cool. he made the brick, brought them up here, and you can see where he dug out the dirt for the for the brick. I, I have fun with the kids. I'll take them down there sometimes in the summer, <clears throat> and you can see where the just all the land, ground is flat, all of a sudden got. Uh, a trough big, long here, your car along the deep. I said, wonder what was in that? And they said, and I said, I know, I see it, I see it. They said, what do you see? I see the dirt. And they said, so this house. That's where they dug the dirt out and made the brick, brought it up here and put built a house. <laughs> we had fun with them like that. What was the name of this farm originally? Uh, Pleasant View. It was, it was, came through my wife's family. It didn't come through mine. It came through her family. And they had go way back, uh, to the before well, well before the Civil War, uh, but her family owned it then. It was a glass farm then. Her, her grandparents were glass, and then Gordon, and then finally Chanel, and then Gentry. That had all handed down. And how long have you lived here? Oh gosh, about forty years now, I guess something like that. <laughs> so this has been home for a long time. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. When you were young in Franklin. What was your life like? What did you do for fun? What was your day-to-day oh, life like? Oh, God. That won't be a problem. <laughs> we didn't live right down in town to begin with. We lived out on the other side of town, about three-quarters of a mile across the river out there just a little ways. And so we were still considered being in Franklin, but we were right on Murfreesboro Road. We called it Murfreesboro Pike then. It's 96 now. <laughs> it's, it's always 96, but that's what we called it. <laughs> and so that's where I would spent most of my childhood uh either in the town or right outside town. We didn't, one time we moved and I moved the whole family by myself. Cause we just moved from one house, skip one house to another one. <laughs> I'd go in the backyard of this one and put it in this house until we moved up there <laughs> on Fifth Avenue. Anyway, it's so small back then, uh, yeah. Uh, and everybody, it's typical small town. Everybody in town knew everybody else. What did your family do? What what did your what, well? My daddy worked for a telephone company. Okay. And, uh, and so, but my mother 
came from down at Neapolis. You know where Neapolis is? I, I bet you don't. No. no, you wouldn't. You'd have to be real local to know that. And some of the people around here, they don't know where it is either. It's right back this side of Spring Hill, which is yeah. just down the road. Look, just, there's nothing there, but now I don't think it's just called Neapolis. I don't think it's even a store or anything. They have a little store or something. But anyway, that's where my mother came from. My daddy worked for the telephone company. The original telephone company came from North Carolina, and he was one of them, and was working down there. And that's how he met my mother <clears throat> down there back then, and, and they fell in love and married. So that's, that's how I got here. When you were a young boy, what what were you planning on doing when you got older? Well, I think I, I did it. <laughs> you think uh, you did what you wanted, set out to do? Uh, uh, my daddy died when I was 12 years old. And uh, I missed him just like everything. But the man across the highway from us was an agriculture teacher at the high school. But he also was a football coach. And I just idolized that man, Mr. W.C. Yates. And I thought he hung the moon, you know, he just did everything. So when I found out he was doing it, I just loved that guy. And I ended up wanting to be a coach. So he he influenced me to do that, really. Uh, so that's how I got involved in it and, and looked forward to being a coach. You were born in 1925? Yeah, 1925. So you grew up during some of the years of the Depression. Well, I guess all of the years all of the Depression. Of did you, how did that affect you? I mean, was well, your family much affected? Well, it didn't, it, 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 we didn't know it was in the Depression because we was having too much fun. <laughs> we was young, see, and uh, uh, we'd go out hunting and fishing every, every day. We'd hunt and fish every day without a gun. We could catch them with our hands. We'd catch rabbit squirrels with our hands. <laughs> Just things like that. It's impressive. That. Oh, yeah, well, rabbits. Well, you, can't, you can't run a rabbit, so you have to figure out how to catch him because he can outrun you. So we, we figured out how to catch him. <laughs> anyway, we, we were out just outside all the time. We did, being inside, we thought we'd be a sissy if we wore in, inside. And then sometimes some of the boys started wearing shorts, and we said, golly, he's wearing shorts, you know. <laughs> We ended up wearing shorts too. <laughs> yeah, on a hot July or August yeah, day. Yeah. Thought. We thought he was a sissy. <laughs> but you're saying when you were a kid, you didn't really think about the fact that the country was going through this economic depression. No, we, we were too busy. We didn't. We didn't even know what the word meant. Economic. I said, "What's that word?" Uh, you know, we didn't know. Really, I, I'm, I'm being serious with you. When when we got up in the morning, if we didn't go to school, which we'd walk to school too in Franklin, we'd walk from. Other side of town, about a mile and a half back into town, and go to school. But anyway, um, we we hunting and fishing all the time. Yeah, that was that was the main thing to do. Not only for the we had the experience of it that we were enjoying, <clears throat> but catch the food home and we ate it. We we didn't do it just for fun. We were going to hunt. It was food. necessary. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Catch rabbits for you. We figured out how to do that in squirrels. And all how that. did you uh, catch them? Did well, you see rabbit, them? Rabbits can outrun you, so we we couldn't outrun them. So we said, "Well, we got to figure out how to fix." And we we would walk across a field or something, and we see a big brush pile, and there were rabbits were all around. A lot of rabbits then, and we go up to the brush pile, and we see a rabbit honk honking down in there. We say, "One, two, three, and jump on the brush pile and mash the brush down. He can't run. Then we reach down there and get him." Or honeysuckle, catch them in honeysuckle the same way. So rabbits were hard. Now squirrels were easy to catch because they see, they run up a tree 
And we said, we watch him. And if he goes in a little hole up there, oh, he just made a mistake. So we climb a tree and we bring with us a long stick. that had a fork on the end of it and put it in and touch it. When you touch the squirrel, he'll bark. And we say, uh oh. And then start twisting it around and get all entangled that old fluffy tail, pull him out, catch him behind his head because he'll bite you. I'm feeding them right there now. They see that right there. They, they come there and oh, eat yeah. every day. You got your squirrel feeder right yeah. there. And so, so you made friends with them now. I, yeah, <laughs> so I catch him behind the head and bring him home. That's what we, we ate the squirrels and uh, rabbits, fish, and squirrels. Catch fish with our hands. So some people call it uh, noodling. We didn't call it noodling. We called it grabbling. And we go down. We knew which rocks they'd bed under. Get on there and catch those big old catfish and bring them home. Mama cook them. That's very impressive. Yeah, <laughs> we were hungry. We, we were hungry. We, that's what we and, and it was. We enjoyed doing it too. We ate them, but we liked to catch them. It's fun to catch those rascals. What uh, What does squirrel taste like? It's it's, it's good meat. They're good though. They're good. It's about like eating chicken or something like that. Yeah, it's they're good. pretty lean. It's good squirrel, good squirrel, good. <laughs> what was Franklin like when you were young? Like, what are your first well, memories of Franklin? Well. To me, Franklin has always been small, being close to Nashville, and we'd be associated with Nashville. I said, golly, we're, we're not much. We're just a speck out here, and, and we were. And so I always thought of that, and, and for us to go to the big city, we'd go to Nashville. And then Brentwood was even smaller than Franklin then. <laughs> you go by there, and I think had the, uh, one grocery store in Brentwood and the post office. That's it. That's, that's all of Brentwood, those two buildings. <laughs> Look at it now. Anyway, I remember all those things. Does it feel like the same town to you? Pretty much downtown it is. Downtown is the same. Every time I have memories when I, <clears throat> I'm by myself most of the time, I'll be going, for some reason, driving through town. And every time I pass the corner of 5th and Main Street there where there's a stone wall around the Presbyterian Church, I think of that thing every time I go by there. It's not very good thinking, though, because that's what we sat on that wall. No, I, not, on, not only me, but all the others. Call your name, you hop off the wall and get on the bus, and you're gone off to World War II. That's where you sat there, and they call your name, hop off the wall, get on the bus. And so that's where I left for My brother did, he was killed. He was on the wall first. So I think that wall, every time I go by there. Wow. And that wall that's still there today. That, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's still there. I, every time I go through there, there's a wall. There's a wall. I know, I'm going to think about that every time I'm down there. Yeah, mm -hmm. there's on Main Street right there in the corner of Fifth Avenue and uh, Main. Yeah, we drove by that on our way here. First, first Presbyterian Church, that's what it is. What What brought you there? Because I know you volunteered in the Army. Well, that that was, I'll ask this for two, two different reasons I was on that wall. A lot of times, <clears throat> that was just a loafing place. And the men that come into town, come in on in buggies or wagons, and the wives would do the shopping in Franklin while they're waiting for the wives that's sitting on the wall. And we, as youngsters, we'd come along, we'd sit on the wall too and we'd watch the traffic go by. He said, There comes a car. We hadn't seen a car maybe in two, three days or a week or something. And we see there, look at that car, look coming. So we sat on the wall too, that sort of a meeting place there. And, uh, and other people would wait for their wives to do the shopping. And they waited on the wall, so we waited. That's the waiting wall. <laughs> but then you said that's the wall that the bus showed up to if take you. When you're going off the wall, uh, you you wait there on the wall, and the man the, the man in charge had an office in the first building. It's still there, by the way, upstairs. And he'd come down and have a list, 
Called the names, you hop off the wall and get on the bus and gone off the wall. That's where I left from. That's where my brother left from, the whole restaurant. But you volunteered, right? Well, I, yes, but I, my time was coming up. I knew I was going to be, if I didn't, I, I volunteered early on because there was a man that lived in Franklin <clears throat> then by the name of Mr. C.H. Kennard, son of Mr. C.H. Kennard, and his name was C.H. Jr. But anyway, a good-looking guy. And he had gone already in the Army and got into the Air Force, first first one. Uh, he was a hero, really. He he was a, a, one of America's number two ace from Franklin, Tennessee. Wow. Oh, Clayton Kennard, Jr. shot down 33 and a half German planes. Wow. Now, how did he shoot down a half a plane? Well, <laughs> That's a good question. Some, some up, some, he hit, somebody else hit the plane also. Okay. Yeah. So he didn't get full credit for it. The other guy got half credit. So it's 33 and a half planes. But and and I used to, I'd see him. He'd come home sometime when he first went in the army. Had a scarf around his neck. Boy, he's a good looking guy. And I said I want to be like him. So I went down to join the Air Force. I was in man. I was going to be flying like crazy. And so finally, the doctor said, looked up and said, "You can't get in the Air Force." I said, "What do you mean I can't? I'm, I'm in good shape. You're colorblind." Uh-oh. And I didn't realize that until he said it. I used to, I thought my mother just didn't know colors. She used to say, wear that green sweater, and it was blue. But it was red. <laughs> I, thought, like I, thought she didn't know, I thought she didn't know oh, her no. colors. Mm-hmm. See, I, 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 I in high school then, I knew my colors, but she didn't. You know, she <laughs> did, too. She knew them, and I didn't know the colors. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> that's, how I did. that's the reason I didn't get in the Air Force like Cleveland. I want to be like him. Just opposite. They, I was in the infantry. We walked. And uh, my experience of that is unbelievable. But you're looking at a man right now, not only me, but we, I put it that way, we walked across France, across Germany, and into Czechoslovakia. Now, let me reword that. We walked sometimes, sometimes we ran, sometimes we crawled uh to get across that and then everybody make across during World War Two. Mm-hmm. So that that's what we ended up instead of flying, ended up walking. I wanna ask you so today in two thousand and nineteen, we've got cell phones and computers and we can read the news and we know what's going on all around the world. But when you were eighteen years old, did the threat of the Nazis and of Hitler, did that feel real to you? Like, did that feel like this is this is a real thing, even though it was happening on the other side of the well, world? Well, no, we. I, I, I know what you're saying, but I, I had another feeling about it. I'm a citizen of the United States. My brother was already in the service and gotten killed before I ever went overseas. Oh, so he was gone. So I was dedicated to my country. And when my time came, I, I was ready to go. And as I said, I volunteered to go. But to get in the Air Force, but when they found out I was colorblind, I couldn't get in the Air Force. Then they said, I said, ask the doctor, I said, what did I do? He said, you go home, the Army will take anybody. So I ended up not going there, I ended up walking. So you just felt like, this is what I need to do. Right. As, 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 a, as a citizen of the United States, yeah. Yeah, get it, be involved in the war. They, each, each house back in those days would put a star in the window for those in the service and and some, some, my mother put up a star, and then my brother was killed. She put up a gold star. Then she put up another blue star for me and to go off. And uh, so that's the way it worked. Some lady, I think it was in Iowa or somewhere, she had four blue stars. And then when the war 
was old. She had four gold stars. Lost oh. all four sons. So you, were, what's your main memory from from the war? I know you talk about walking and crawling. Well, and that's, that's what's that's my main memory: walking <laughs> and crawling. Yeah, that's all you did when they, when we landed in in France and. One of the buses there waiting for us, one of the trains waiting for us, cars or anything. We walked. And we had an M1 rifle. Here we go, we're foot soldiers. So that's, we walked all across. I, I got good view of Europe while I was there. I walked all over it. Are there, so I know these are stories that you've told many times before, but I know some people who lived through the war and especially some of the the more terrifying things that you went through, I have a hard time ever talking about that. Um, well, <clears throat> when I came back, I didn't talk about it a lot either. Just, I just was so glad the war was over. Just not, let's talk about something else. And uh, I still don't, don't tell all, all the things. There's no point in some of it. You don't, how do you just t- describe... Uh, uh, talking with a man one day, a buddy of mine, and he's, he's killed while he's talking to me. Uh, I don't, why do I want to go around and talk about that? Yeah. I don't want to talk about that. Uh, he was, uh, anyway, see, that's what it doesn't mean now. It makes me go back to him. Yeah. Things like that. So it, I just didn't care that much about it. Now, after I got on up older and started teaching, then I thought maybe I had better tell some of those things that happened. I was in a concentration camp at Dachau, mm-hmm. then, so that's that. They, they told me that I needed to do it because some people say it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. It did happen because I was there. And I saw it and smelled it and touched it. <clears throat> so they can't tell me that it didn't happen. I know. Does it feel looking back on it like like it was somebody else who lived through that, or does it still feel like <coughs> that was you who went through all those moments? Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's in, in a way, even, even me, it feels un, <clears throat> unreal, but it was me. I know it was real because I was there. Yeah. And I've been back once, tw- no, twice to Europe. Uh, I was taken back for that purpose, to go back and see what it, the changes had and changed. And, what it, and I'm glad I did. I didn't want to remember Europe like I had seen it, where no, nothing but destruction and death. Yeah. And unbelievable what those cities bombing the cities and then attacking and we go in foot soldiers and fight through the city and so on. Uh, so I went back and then uh, my wife and I went back on a trip to Europe. And uh, was one of the best things that happened to me is we we rented an automobile and when we landed in Frankfurt, I had an automobile waiting for me. So I knew where I was going. I walked all over the place. <laughs> And got in that car and we drove on. So you got, you got to drive that time. You didn't uh-huh. have to walk. Well, I drove. Well, it's a good story. We drove down into my favorite of all the countries was Austria. Mm-hmm. And we were driving down in Austria in those mountains. Boy, like today, you look out there and where that hill is, oh, it goes up into the clouds and snow capped up there and warm down here. God, beautiful. All of it. Salzburg, my favorite city in, in Europe. And so... We, we drove all over, and I was down into Austria, and a little place called Stum, S-T-U-M-M. I told her, I said, there's a family that lived down here. I'd like to stop where I lived with them for a while. Went up to the little Stum, little town, and put about four or five houses in the church, something like that. Knocked on the door, and the lady came to the door, and I said, Maria Hudler, I can speak German, little German. 
And uh, she said, no, she doesn't live here any longer, but she's moved to that house right up there. She pointed up to the house. And I said, well, let's thank you. And we walked up there. This is really some story right here. We're walking up to this house that's been 15, 20 years later, maybe, maybe about 15 years later after the war, first trip I went back. And uh, as we approached the house, she had dust doors, and the bottom door was closed, the top door was open. And the f- a face was appeared above the opening, in the opening. It was Maria Hoodler, the girl, the woman. And, and as we approached, I said, I believe that is Maria, you know. And we were all short. The, she, she opened the door like this. Boom. She just burst she, right She didn't open it and push it open. She knocked it like that and started running right toward me. I said, that woman's going to hit me. <laughs> she ran right up my face and said, Bossy Dynamite, what's your name? And before I could even tell her, she said, Jimmy Gentry, you said you'd come back someday. Oh, my gosh. Boy, you're talking about tough. It was hard for me to understand that she remembers. You said you would come back someday. And that's, that was the highlight for that visit, just that she remembered that. And then, anyway, uh, we, she had brought us in and cooked food and changed clothes, put on new clothes, clean clothes, and got on the phone and started talking. She said, Jimmy Gentry, again, four or five times. I said, who's she talking to? The man of that, he said, well, that's Franz, her, her brother. Oh, and when he said that, I said, oh, oh, I know who Franz is. And in a little while, Franz comes. And uh, we're both real emotional there. When he sees me and I see him, it's really, I won't go into all that. But anyway, it was, it, was a, it was an emotional meeting for both of us because he was brought down. In fact, I brought him down after the war. That's, that's by the way, that's what we were doing in, in Austria. Uh, the, the German high officials, most of them ran into Austria and hide out in the, mountain, in the Alps Mountains. They sent us down there to find them. Mm. And that's what we were doing down there. Oh, you went as... Part of the army still. Oh yeah, I was still in the army. We had we were still in the army. The war had already ended, but that's then when it ended. I thought, well, we go home. Said, no, you got to find out. We got to find these people. They mm-hmm. sent us down there, and and I was brought brought him down out of the mountains. And the lieutenant that was interrogating was about to put him in prison. I said, Lieutenant, could I say something? He said, yes, Sergeant. What is it? I said, well, I I've been with him all day. He's not a Nazi. He's not a criminal. You say so, Sergeant. I said, no, sir. He said, you're dismissed. They said, I saved his life wow. by saying wow. that because he didn't have to go to prison then. Anyway, we went back and found that family and enjoyed uh, the homecoming with them. What made you decide 15 or 20 years later to go back? Well, well, that experience I had, as people say, I want to go back and see where I was, where it was nice, peaceful, nice, mm-hmm. clean, nice, and by the way, it's cleaner than we are here. You can't find a piece of paper on the ground, a tin can, or anything over there, because they cleaned them up. Anyway, we, my wife and I wanted her to see what where I had been, so we went back for that reason. Lots of the people who fought the Battle of Franklin here have similar reasons about why they come back. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, there's stories of older Civil War soldiers who came back to Franklin in yeah. order to see the battlefields where they once yeah, I'm sure they did. I, I wasn't here then. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, you know, we were we were talking about this before we came here. Um, when you enlisted in 1943, mm-hmm. that was about 76 years ago. 70, 76 years ago? In 1943... About 78 years prior, the Civil War ended. So we're about, like, when, when you were enlisting, 
you're about as far removed from the Civil War as we are from when you went off to World War II. I, said, oh, that's, I think so, yeah. That's about right. I didn't realize that. <laughs> how, does your, how does your view of history change as you get older? How, how do Say that again. How does your, like, when you were growing up, um, you would have learned about the Civil War in school. Yeah, yeah, read about and it. And there were, at that point, there were some older veterans who were still around. Yeah, well, yeah, I remember those. They were old men, mm-hmm. and I didn't have much thing to do with them because <laughs> I was too busy catching fish and squirrels and all that sort of thing. But uh, I just look at them, and in fact, World War One, and I, I remember those old men too. Yeah, and, uh, and growing up, and Mister, Mister, I can call the names for you right now. Uh, I just looked at them. I sort of idolized them as heroes, really. Is it strange to have something that you went through? all of a sudden become something that is now history. Mm-hmm. Like something that kids learn about in school today, World mm-hmm. War II, mm-hmm. is something that you actually lived through. Is that a strange feeling? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, 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 yeah of course, I taught school and coached football for 66 years here. So I teaching school all that 66 years, teaching biology. So I had a chance to tell some of the stories and things like that, get my point across. Mm-hmm. Because I, I have had, I have been to all those places. I, I, I put it this way: the one of the hardest things I've ever had to do was to, uh, April the 29th, nineteen forty-five. War was almost over, and we we're we we're approaching a place near Munich, Germany. We didn't we didn't know why we were not going into Munich, but they sent us somewhere else. This we're football walking, and all of a sudden you smell something. And some of the guys, I didn't, but some of the others, they throw up from the smell. We thought, well, they're using some kind of gas, special gas to save the war because we're winning. We're about to whip them. And it turned out there was a concentration camp with dead human bodies, 3,700 dead people. They smelled terrible. It made it different than a horse or a chicken or a cow. We smelled that, and that's what was, we thought it was using some kind of gas. It was smell from dead bodies. Made us, made us throw up. Did you have any idea what you were walking into? No, no idea at all. Just got to this wall, a big wall, and a railroad track going in, and we go in on the railroad track. I could go through all of it with you, and watch buildings and all that sort of thing. And then, see, we still hadn't gotten into the camp itself, just around it. It was inside the wall, but inside that wall is another wall and a water moat around it, and that was where the prisoners were. When we first saw the prisoners, I couldn't, I didn't understand who are these people, what are they doing in here? Terrible look, they nearly dead. In fact, there were several hundreds of them dead laying around in the street uh, when we got there, starved to death. And uh, seeing those people first, then we realized, oh, what is it? And somebody said, it's a concentration camp. We didn't know what to call it ourselves. And so that's, that's how I visited there. And how do you. How do you look back on that moment? Was that well? I look back on it as a not a very pleasant time in my memories, but I feel like it. Uh, I need to tell about yeah. it because I actually saw it. And and people, a man reminded me. He said, "If you don't tell it, they'll say it didn't happen." Mm-hmm. So it did happen. I saw it. I touched it. I smelled it. In that moment, did you feel? Did you feel, I know you were liberating the concentration camp. Did you feel like a liberator or a hero? No, we just felt like this is something that the Germans have done. We don't need to take care of this. 
they've been, look what they've done to these people, or doing to these people, that sort of thing. We're just glad to get it done. But we didn't want, any, didn't want anything in that enjoyable about it, just letting those people out of there. Uh, I'll give you a quick story about that. <clears throat> oh, 15, 20 years after the war, I get a phone call from Nashville and the Holocaust Commission and she said, are you James C. Gentry? That is my name. I knew she didn't know when she said that. She's reading something. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, well, <clears throat> there's a man here who wants to come see you. And I told him I was living out here then. Um, and the man brought him out, and when he got out of the car, he could barely walk. And when he started up to me, I, I recognized him. He was, he was one of those prisoners in the Doc Cowell concentration camp. And uh, they, they, they had gotten back to the United States and lived over in Mount Juliet. Some of his family still lived there. We still communicate with the, to each other, his people. He's been dead a long time. And he was in the camp that day. And uh, I asked him, what did you do when we came? He said, I got something to eat. He, he had, he, oh, by the way, he said, I had slipped out. But when y'all came, I came back. And then he told me all about that. And so there's it some good things that came out of that war. That was a good thing, getting those people out of those camps. And uh, they wanted, those that were still alive, were wanted to touch you. They'd run up and just try to just touch you, hold your hand, or put their arms on you or something. Uh, uh, we didn't, and really, really didn't want them to do that because they were, we thought they kind of kind of a disease that they were starving is what they were doing. I remember that, getting out of there. I was glad to get out of that camp. I've been back once since then. Uh, to the, no, I've been back twice since then to the camp. All together cleaned up and, and now. What do you think is most important for us today and just how we go about life and how we interact with each other? How, what's, a, what's something you would say to us today about how we should do that? Well, I don't know how to answer that, but uh, other than probably... Uh, <clears throat> I, in my position, and do what I have done, I would ask people to do as much as they can about getting an education. And uh, my brother never got to go to college. He was killed. Of course, I did. And I think being able to go through schools and get an education, and it gave me the opportunity to, to touch more people that way. And I think I would, I would encourage everybody to try to advance the education as much as they can. I coached football in Franklin for 66 years, and, and about 20 of them was right there next door to the Carter House. At the Franklin High School, right? Mm-hmm. Franklin High School was there then. And so we, we played practice all around the Carter House down below it. <laughs> Do you remember visiting? Do you remember going into the house or anything like that? Oh, yeah, way back then. But it, but it was not treated like it is now. There was a family there then. And uh, I've been in there just, they came in, I don't know why I was in there, but for some reason they wanted me to come in for something. <laughs> it probably looked a lot different than it does now. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty much, basically, it's a whole, at the area right there, it stayed pretty much the same. Except the high school was gone. The high school mm-hmm. was next door. It burned, had a fire. But. The, the high school itself burned down um, on January 26, 1956. Yes, that's about right. And you were... There, I was, I was coaching there then, and uh, I remember uh, going up there, not knowing I was one of the first ones up there. And uh, when I got, as I, I was walking up the hill, we lived over in town then, 
and uh, saw smoke. And, and by then I heard that somebody had already turned it in. And I ran up there as quick as I could because we'd had a meeting a week or so ahead of it. Said, if you ever have a fire, you're going to lose a lot of records in here. Mm-hmm. We went to the front door. It was locked. We broke it open. <laughs> got a guy to help me there. Went in and got all the records and brought them out and put it out on the sidewalk outside. And it was raining. So somebody, after we got all that, I was, who, who's proud? They said, yeah, your records are getting wet. Oh, God, you got to get them now, get them across the street and put them on the porch. So you pulled them out of the fire and into the rain. Well, well, it, it didn't quite get to the fire. We got them out before the fire, but the fire was about to take them. That's, that's when we run them out. There. And then it started raining, so we had to take them across the street and put them on somebody's porch. So wow. we, we did save the, the records. <laughs> that's that's cool. I didn't, we didn't know that the records were saved that way. Yeah. Well, I had read that they had told you like a week before, like you better do something. Yeah, about yeah. That. We had a, had a meeting then, and I remember that being in that meeting said, "If y'all ever have a fire, you're gonna lose all your records." And I remember the, the uh, <clears throat> papers on the bulletin board out in the hallway, right by the <clears throat> right by the library where the where the records were stored, catching on fire. <laughs> the papers on the wall. I said, God, we got to get those records out here. <laughs> we got them out. And that, the Franklin High School was the school that you went to, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. You yeah. graduated from Franklin graduated High School. Graduated from high school, yeah. And of course, in that, those days, that was it. You, and, you, and you didn't have buses either. You walked to school. <laughs> when did Gentry Farm start as we know it today? Well, it started, as I said, uh, was when uh, uh, I married into the family. And, and her parents... I owned it at that time, and they and they passed away, and then she owned it, and we married, and so that we lived here. She lived here with me for a long, long time, about sixty years before she passed away, and so she always loved this house, this farm, and so that's and when we married, we moved into this house and redid the whole house, just opened the windows and threw all the junk outside. They used it like a barn, at, in the old days, in, in like in this room here, there had hay was stored in here. Wow. And, uh, we just opened the windows there and threw it out the window <laughs> and got it all out and cleaned it up and rebuilt. We just redid the whole house. You're a painter as well, aren't you? Well, yes. I, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, a, I'm not. I, I, got, I didn't do that. that somebody else did that by myself. I've got some other things. <laughs> Pick that, leaning up up there, that little thing there. That, that's something I'll do right there in about five minutes. Well, we saw some of your well, art that you've had online. See, we think I think it's quite incredible. I've never had a class in art or anything. I can, I'm, I've inherited that. I can do that. I can't sing a note. If I, at church, when I sing, people say, who is this? <laughs> look around and see if the noise I'm making. Uh, anyway, I can do any of that. Uh, that's just one. Is, I don't know where they are. There's stacks of them here. Well, we hundreds went, of them. The other day, we were on your, your website and looking through some of the paintings that you've done. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember seeing the one of your memories of Dachau. Mm-hmm. Um, and is that a way of, is it almost therapeutic being able to paint those scenes for well, you? Or is it a way of working through I them? was told, and rightly so, I think, <clears throat> early on, they, of course, they called me coach. They said, coach, you need to Put that you need to turn that into some kind of work so and leave it for rest records and that's the reason I did now that uh, there's some of this a painting I don't know where they are now there's some more in some of the other rooms but and I've given away most of them uh, and so I I can do that I don't uh, well 
<laughs> I don't want to look for it. I, got, I can probably run around, open up one of these books and find a handful of them right here. Sketches. Yeah, no, they're they're really good. Really good. So that's what that is. That something they encouraged me to do that, and so I did that. Uh, and there, there are lots of them scattered around. Some of them have been taken away by the students I had a long time ago. I just find it interesting that after the experiences that you had, then the the rest of your life isn't dedicated to teaching youth, to, to coaching kids. You start a farm, or you you continue a farm and you do summer camps and, well, and all these things. Summer camp mainly. Summer camp mainly. My son majored in animal husbandry in college, so he took over the farm. You see a hundred head out there here. Mm-hmm. He looks after them. I don't have anything to do with it. I just live in this house. That's about all I can say for, uh, I do here. <laughs> but uh, but before that, before I did that, I, as I said, I coached football for 66 years. And uh, three schools, Franklin High School, then BGA, Battleground Academy, then Brentwood Academy the last 36 years. Well, I think those stories are incredibly important. And I think telling them is the most important thing because you're right. It affected everybody then, just like the story that we tell every day is about the Civil War. That's a story that affected everybody in the right. United States at oh, that time. World War II, you you involved then. Yeah. You involved then. They put a star in the window for me and my brother. And finally they put a gold star and mine was a blue star. And, and everybody knew who was in service and... and uh, it was just a spirit that was not good, but it needs to be known that there's lots of sacrifices made for us to be like we are today. And my brother's one of those. It shaped America. <laughs> so first off, we want to thank Jimmy Gentry for being on this podcast. It was an absolute honor. And I also want to give a shout out to my wife, Delena, for recommending this topic. There are still a few more weeks before our summer concert series at Carnton. You can buy tickets on our website at boft.org slash events. June 30th is Johnny Cash Now, a Johnny Cash tribute band. And July 28th is Resurrection, a Journey tribute band. And there's also time to sign up for our summer history camp. If you have children who are 8 to 12 years old uh, and are available June 18th through 20th and July 16th through 18th, Head over to boft.org slash summer dash camp for more information. And we greatly appreciate all of you who have either subscribed to or reviewed this podcast on iTunes. And to those of you who have purchased one of our 10 in 20 t-shirts, there are still just a couple more left at store.boft.org. Thank you so much for listening. Join us in a couple of weeks.